could AI help you monitor and identify Salesforce errors? Is using AI comparable to being a member of Fight Club? And how to approach the challenge of pricing and usage-based billing for AI-driven features? Welcome to Artificial Intelligence Innovations Meets App Exchange, the bi-weekly show that explores the impact of AI in the Salesforce ecosystem. I'm Jakub Stefaniak, Salesforce Certified Technical Architect and VP of Technology Strategy and Innovation at Akiva Labs, where we help App Exchange partners accelerate their adoption of the latest technologies and get the most out of their Salesforce partnership. In each episode, we sit down with leaders from AppExchange ecosystem to discuss the latest trends and innovation in AI, product development opportunities, and ethical considerations. Our goal is to address critical challenges faced by business, build a community of engaged professionals, and provide insights into the latest trends and innovation in AI to help you stay informed and ahead of the curve. So, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's dive into the world of AI and App Exchange. Hey, hello. So, at the beginning, could you introduce yourself and your role in App Exchange ecosystem? Sure. So, my name is Nikita Prokopev. I am a founder and head of product at uh, Ferros AI, and we're an ISV on Salesforce platform. And our application is a native monitoring and observability tool for Salesforce errors. Exactly. And as far as I know, it's the literally only one application in this niche. So if you can tell us a little bit more about what exactly kind of problems are you solving? Sure. Yeah. So we are definitely alone in uh, what we do as far as being native. The notion of observability has certainly been around for quite some time. I mean, if you've been a full stack engineer, if you've you know been in that discipline, you're familiar with tools like Splunk, Datadog, you know, Sumo Logic, there's Sentry.io. I mean, there's a whole slew of products out there that solve the problem that we're solving, but we're doing it specifically for Salesforce on Salesforce. And we're very much context driven by Salesforce and that we make it our point to understand the errors, to tie them to the data and the context that arises in your org. And so we, you know, our goal is to give you visibility into what's breaking, what's not working properly, give you some tools to fix it, some guidelines, troubleshooting, and uh, help you action all the problems. I've been, been an engineer for over 20 years now, and I actually started off in, in the full stack world. I worked at Salesforce, built Java applications, and, you know, having, having been a exposed to that that level of rigor in the past when I started doing my work on on in the ecosystem as a consultant which was my next role after after Salesforce I realized that there just aren't the right tools in place to to help developers to help admins to troubleshoot to give them the knowledge about the problems that they have in their work and so that's where I decided to embark on this journey everyone knows about logging and you know, what you do with it, especially if you're a developer, you're certainly familiar with logging frameworks, you know, things like that. There are plenty plenty out there, open source or otherwise, a lot of companies roll their own, but logging is just part of observability. There are other components to it, and those are often neglected. Also, logging is only as good as you are disciplined to follow that, right? You 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 log what you what you know, or you log in the parts of the code that you know, but a lot of orgs have tons of code that's legacy that no one wants to touch. 
and they don't have any logging. So therefore you lose, completely lose the visibility of what's going on in those parts of the code. But that is also part of your business automations driving your business every day. And if it's breaking, you may not know what's happening. So with Pharos, that's the problem we wanted to solve. We wanted to capture as much as possible without relying on you know, explicit logging, also getting the low code declarative stuff under the belt as well, such as flows and process builder, bulk APIs, all those things are important. They drive the automation, they run the system, and we wanted to make sure that's all accounted for as well. So that that's kind of it in a nutshell. I think for all people who listen to this podcast, it's very easy to immediately think about some use cases when to like that can be very helpful. And one of the reasons why we are speaking today is because from our experience, generative AI can help a lot in code reviews, in explaining potential problems. So in Akiva Labs, we built a very simple application which use OpenAI to debug formula fields and provide some hints how to fix it. And I'm curious in your product, how do you see the recent changes in technology? Oh, it's been a really exciting few months for us, to say the least. Actually, how long has it been? It's been coming up on a year now, I think, where we really started tinkering with, with the LLMs and seeing what they could do. I mean, the, the vision for Pharos was always to have a strong AI component in place, hence the domain name and the AI as part of the company name. It's always been the vision that we'll, you know, we'll be able to repair the code for you, we'll be able to suggest fixes, give you guidelines, best practices, et cetera, et cetera, on what to do about problems. I think it's absolutely essential for, you know, as you know, in the ecosystem, there's, you know, people are moving around, they, they land a job and they have an org that they've never seen. And they, all of a sudden, now they're responsible for all the problems that are happening therein. Right. So as someone in that role, whether it's an admin or a developer, I mean, what do you do? Where do you start? You, you have to have tribal knowledge that you simply cannot possess because you're new. So having tools like, like ours, I think would be extremely helpful in getting up to speed and getting the right solutions in place. So that's, um, that's been kind of our journey. Uh, now our core product is, is native. And it all of the stuff that it does with, in terms of error tracking and the, the other observability components, that's all native. But the AI piece is we're we're now shifting some of that off platform just because you have to. So that's you know kind of where we're headed, and we're exploring the various different LLMs that are out there. We're exploring some of the infrastructure questions that have to be answered. You, if you're going to host this at a scale, you know, how do you do this? What, what um, technologies and tools you need? So that's kind of what, you know, the process that we're going through at the moment. And we're very, very excited about this because, like I said, it's always been the vision. And it's something what more and more often ISVs are asking us as PDO partner to help with because there are many LLMs. Most of people start with OpenAI because... It was the widely known at the beginning, but then you see some of them are open source, some mm -hmm. of them are cheaper. And I'm curious, what is your approach? So what you are currently using and how this research look to make this final decision? I have an anecdote actually for you. It was really funny. I have to share this. So a buddy of mine posted on LinkedIn, a chess battle between the LLMs. When I saw this, I, I was just laughing out loud. It was so funny. So he basically, it, it was actually quite an elaborate program that he put together. 
he put together a GPT-4 against a GPT-3 against, gosh, what was it? Was it Bard or something? I, there was another LLM that, that, that was in play. And he, he made a little chess tournament out of them. Who would win in a chess match? And it's pretty cool the way he did it. So he, he basically fed it the state of the board and asked for the next move. And it turned out that uh, GPT-4 came on top, unsurprisingly, I suppose. But the interesting part was that all of these LLMs were completely destroyed by a dedicated chess engine. And that was that was a an interesting moment to realize that, yeah, I mean, you've got you've got this amazing technology and you've got this amazing model that is open AI and it can do all these things. But when it comes to something very specific, it's not necessarily the best tool of choice. And, and that's kind of, you know, kind of leading up to the answer to your question. We really, really carefully evaluated whether we need this at all. I think the, the rules of AI are kind of like the rules of fight club. The rule number one is you don't use AI unless you have to. Rule number two is you don't use AI unless you have to, right? So it's, it's every, every single use case that we wanted to tackle, we asked ourselves that question. Do we really need an LLM to extract Salesforce sanities from the error messages? It's nice. It does it pretty good, but we don't really need it. So that component of ours is completely algorithmic. Do you need the LLM to group logs into unique issues? Yeah, it could do it, but again, can you do it without it? Yes, you can. And so a lot of our core functionality, it mimics what the AI would output, but it is actually leveraging a lot of algorithms behind the scenes that have been fine-tuned over the years. But where, you know, to your point, where the AI really shines is the generative aspect, the ability to understand code, ability to understand logic and automation, ability to understand best practices and provide solutions. So that's where we started really digging into the, the LLMs. And of course, we tinkered with, with the OpenAI. I think for the most part, it is the one that, that produced the best results for us. Every time something new comes out, we, of course, try to plug it in and see what happens. And we haven't seen better results yet than OpenAI at the moment. That's interesting. I was expecting uh, that... After we are starting to speak of very specific use cases, the potential solution can be a code gen. So the technology which Salesforce is going to use for DAICS, Apex GPT. Have you tried it already? So to be honest, I have not tried it. I'm really looking forward to see what comes out. And I think as soon as we get our hands on it, it'll be an interesting exercise. But having been in the ecosystem for a number of years now, since 06, I would say, we're a little wary of embracing new stuff that comes out right off the bat because you know the marketing tends to tends to get excited about things which is understandable that's what they do and the resulting solution is oftentimes a little underbaked so we're we're at the point where we don't really want to wait where we i think we understand our use cases pretty well we're embracing kind of what's out there in terms of resources and technologies and we just want to run with it if we have to iterate we will but that's kind of the approach that we've set ourselves on from, from the beginning totally makes sense and i really like this metaphor with fight club rules because we should always remember 
you are paying for this API call. So overusing it for every use case as well means that your calls can skyrocket, right? And uh, it brings me to the question, at this moment, you charge your customers per user per org. Do you think that like high usage of this AI driven features can start to be a problem one day? And how do you think on this from the more strategic and product strategy point of view? That's a really, really good question. And I, I gotta say it's been something that's been on my mind. And how do you price this thing? How do you, you know, how do you make sure that it makes sense from the cost standpoint for, for us as a company and for the customers as well? And to this date, I, I wouldn't say we've settled on a pricing model for it. We're we've been We've been playing around with various different use cases, and I think some of them are better defined than others in terms of the cost component to it. And and those those are the ones that we're we're going to release to the public first. They are not going to be usage based, but I think there is going to have to be a usage based component baked into it. A large problem of this is when you know the number of prompts you have to do to the llm things are a lot easier you can sort of estimate the cost beforehand before making the query the problem happens when you start plugging in large data and that's where things can get a little bit more loose and i mean we've ran queries that that took an hour north of an hour and ended up costing a few bucks in the grand scheme of things that's you know that's not too much but if you think about it it's a single query right so from the application standpoint when you have situations like that where there's a lot of large data involved you have to make sure that this these kinds of queries don't happen on a regular basis or they do happen on a regular basis but there's a wide enough time interval to where you kind of transition into the next monthly billing period or something like that but you, you have to really be careful how many times you prompt the LLM for, for these things. And I think this is an area that's going to be interesting for a lot of companies dealing with AI, especially with, with large data, which is all the interesting use cases, right? You want AI to know about your data, to have all that context from your org. So how do you, how do you make it efficient? And there's a lot that you could do before you even start talking to the LLM that can make this process a lot easier. And so that's kind of what we're working on is really, really optimizing every every little aspect of, of the interaction, whether and, and always asking the hard questions like, do we need the LLM prompt here or do we not need this? It's part of the process, but I think it makes you, it, it makes for a better architecture at the very least, and it's going to alleviate the pricing burdens. Because if you just let users loose with the LLM, you just give them open access, they're going to, I mean, the costs will will just will be astronomical, and you you're going to end up losing money as a business. And if you pass these costs on to the customer, they're just not going to want to renew with you because of the they're not going to get the benefits for they're not going to get good value out of your system. So, yeah, of course, and it's between you and me something what I expect more and more after successful adoption, then starting to think how to make it cost effective, and then evaluation even of some open source models can be the next wave of generative AI. But instead of thinking about the future, I think the current another hot topic are hallucinations. So I can imagine with using your application, it can be like debugging together with junior developer who is giving me some hints where to look for. But if these hints are not very useful, I can even waste more time than without this. Exactly. How do you make sure that is not going to happen? Yeah, so good question. So I think the topic of hallucinations often comes up in the context of 
more of the freeform interactions with the LLM where you, you know, you're interacting with it in a, in a chat through a chat prompt and you can start asking all kinds of different questions and you can, you can get, get the LLM to spit out something that, that makes zero sense or that's completely untrue. If you're leading down the person, you're leading the person down the wrong path, they may not even realize it. So it, it could get really dangerous. So that's why for us, we made it a point not to have that kind of an open interaction model where you you basically say anything and you can prompt for anything, it, it's not going to yield good results. And the reason for that is actually there's a discipline that's emerging with as far as AI and LLMs go, and it's called prompt engineering. A lot of people don't know how to ask questions correctly of the LLM. And there's a whole art slash science behind it on how do you prompt the LLM? What kind of inputs do you provide? What kind of explanation you provide for these inputs? And then getting it to output in a consistent, robust format is also another challenge. So getting these prompts nailed down is very, very important. I don't think anybody can do it on the first try. Users will struggle with this quite a bit, and they may get frustrated at the end because the the LLM just doesn't output what they're expecting and they'll just they'll leave it alone. They'll never come back to it or they'll run up the bill and again, and get frustrated. So we really have to define our use cases and what we're solving. And we are not letting users talk to the LLM. We're doing all the talking. And when you, when you constrain your inputs, when you have clearly defined prompts, things are a lot more stable. We haven't really run into hallucinations in that fashion. And I don't expect we would until we open it up to a more conversational model, which currently is not on the roadmap, but hey, maybe it'll happen in the future. I fully agree that prompt engineering is not so easy. So if someone is interested, please forgive me a small auto promotion. I'm going to have a Dreamforce presentation about literally prompt engineering for Salesforce developers and preparing for it brings us the fun because when I was digging into hallucinations, one thing which we found in our development projects quite challenging is the fact that sometimes you can run exactly the same prompt with temperature equal to zero, so generally this random factor should be eliminated, but still you get different results. Uh, could you in some way mitigate this problem in your case? Yeah, I think um, we have seen that to some extent. I I'll say that we we've run into this more, more so when we switch between the LLM versions, like going from GPT 3.5 Turbo to 4, we pretty much had to re-examine all of our prompts. Just it wouldn't be as consistent. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't even return the right thing to begin with. So, but even within the same LLM versions, yeah, we have seen some inconsistencies, but I think you have to, to some extent, you have to account for that variance and you have to tell the LLM that, hey, when you get this result, just say, I don't know. Or if you don't get the result that you're looking for, just say, I don't know, because that's much easier to deal with in the code than processing some output that is completely outside of your you know, sort of space of understanding. So that's, we have solved this with, with rigorous prompt engineering. And um, a lot of times when you ask for a structured JSON output, the values are there and uh, they, they're quite good. Again, if you, if you tell the LLM to stop, stop processing when you encounter something, when you don't see the data that you need to see, it's pretty good at following those kinds of instructions. So that's what we have to, we, we had to bake it into all of our prompts, this kind of clause. 
fully agree. Okay, and as we are close to the end, we haven't yet spoken about Salesforce technology, and maybe it's something worth to mention at the end. Do you envision your application switching to Salesforce LLM? Especially, I'm curious on your thoughts because from the recent announcement about Sales and Service GPT, they're available only to unlimited edition part, uh, customers. And I'm curious if it will happen that ISV stack as well will, will require customers to only use unlimited edition. Is it something that you can consider to add to your product or is it going to be a blocker for you? I don't think it's going to be a blocker for us, no. I mean, from day one, we've had, we've had a big decision to make when it came to, hey, do we leverage event monitoring? Do we, do we require event monitoring? A few other features like that. And we always try to stay open to as large an audience as possible. And Salesforce wants to limit their AI component to unlimited edition. We'll make use of it when it's available, but at the same time, the app will still continue to function and it will still continue what we want to do what we wanted to do, even without having that feature. So we, we don't want to restrict anything as far as the app functionality goes. Now, it may be that if you, if you do have that functionality, from Salesforce, things get a little better, you get better results. But at the same time, if you don't have it, you can still benefit quite a bit from, from the capabilities that we provide. So that's kind of been our, our approach. Oh, that's interesting. So talking about, for example, DevOps centers and Salesforce Shield features, I've seen some, some demos how your application works together with yep. them, but they are not required yep. to install. Oh, that's awesome. Great, great to know it. So thank you for sharing your insight with us and hope to see you on doing the Dreamforce. All right. Very excited. Thanks for having me, Jakob. And yeah, we'll would love to catch up at Dreamforce with you. Thank you so very much for tuning into this episode of AI Innovations Meets App Exchange. We hope you enjoyed the insightful discussion and found this episode valuable. To stay updated on our latest episodes, be sure to sign up for our newsletter and never miss a beat. If you have any questions or want to engage with us further, we'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn. Until next time, keep exploring the exciting world of AI and app exchange.